Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the AGD podcast. My name is Dr. Wes Blakesley, and I'll be your host today. The coronavirus has been a game changer for all of us in practice today in so many ways, but arguably the biggest challenge we face is how to manage the many legal and human resource issues we'll be facing when we return to our offices. Why? Because we have no playbook on this. So these are uncharted waters, but there are proactive measures we can take. And today we're going to discuss this with expert Paul Edwards, the CEO of Cedar HR Solutions. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, uh, Dr. Blakesley. It's fun to have you here. Uh, Paul, before we drill down on our topic today, uh, tell us about your company and uh, some of the services that you offer dentists. So um, when I founded Cedar about, uh, oh, it was 20, I think it was 2006, um, what we created was a HR support system. And so that it was a way for small employers, uh, mostly dentists and doctors, to call in and get help with HR issues. And out of that, we realized that we had to put customized employee handbooks in each office um, so that we could help those offices be in compliance. And since all the states are different, um, it required all the handbooks to be different. And so that's the first thing that we do is provide compliance and HR support. And then the third thing that we uh, have added over the years is software to help our uh, employers uh, run their HR, you know, online and be able to take advantage of, um, you know, the easiest, fastest, quickest ways that they can, you know, manage their HR, day-to-day HR issues. Okay. Uh, Paul, we have a lot to, to uh, go over today, so I'm going to jump in on unemployment benefits. And I'd like you to explain to the members listening in uh, how the existing state systems are supposed to change. And then I'd like you to comment on how the new $600 supercharge is supposed to work. Okay, so this is pretty interesting for, for us HR nerds. Um, this is a kind of a first, but I, I think like you um, alluded to, it's a good idea to kind of explain how the system works now and how it's supposed to work. Um, how the system works now is that the states have always administered unemployment benefits. So, you know, it, Louisiana's is different than New York's and it, it, it all varies across the country, but it all does work similarly. And that is that the states administer, you go, you apply. Uh, if I worked for you one day and I uh, came in and there was a flood and we couldn't work at all, I would go uh, file for unemployment. They would say, how many hours were you working? What's the reason why you're not working? And then they would come up with some amount that they would pay me based off how much I typically earn. And so you can usually earn anywhere from $50 a week up to, uh, in some states, is, uh, 240 is the cap. If you look in New York, uh, I think like $400 a week is the cap. So when they passed the first act, first act, kind of uh, uh, they, they they influxed a lot of cash, billions of dollars into that system to the states, and within that um, influx, they put some rules and standards in place. And one of those is completely different than what the states normally do. So that difference is that they said this money is to go to anyone, any worker who is affected in any way by the coronavirus. And so that is most of the country, you know, as, as businesses have cut back or had to close altogether or shelter in place since they can't go to work. Or in, and, you know, in dentistry, you can't, you, you know, there's not a lot you can do from home. A hygienist can't clean teeth from the house. And so, um, 
you know, they intended for it to be this broad benefit that would get everybody onto the rolls and at least get some money flowing at the state level into people's homes. And it's also intended to be an economic stimulus. And I think that's important to keep in mind as I, as I go forward. So now we have um, this extra money in, but the issue that we have today as we're recording this and we're in, uh, um, you know, somewhere around April 8th, uh, well, not somewhere around exactly April 8th, is that the states are still employment the way that they used to. They have not been able to strike their deals yet with the feds to figure out how to get all those billions of dollars into their own coffers so that they can put the state awards in place. And so they're still denying people who haven't lived uh, in, the, in, in that state very long. They're denying people who you know, don't have a work history, say in Kansas, because they just moved there from North Carolina. Um, they're denying uh, people for all of the reasons that they might deny or reduce their benefits. And so a lot of employees, a lot of our doctors, your, your, your listeners, their employees are going to apply and they're getting uh, turned down. So the first thing I want to say to these folks is that within about two weeks, the states are, uh, um, are telling us that they will have this program and the second supercharged program in place. They will have their agreements with the feds. And at that point, those employees, um, whether they're associate doctors or whether they're, um, whether they're you know, just straight up employees, they should go back and reapply and they should get a remarkably different uh, outcome when they apply. So that's the first, that's the first thing, Wes, that's how that, that's how that system has always worked. Now, the second, the second thing that the um, uh, Congress did, and they, uh, when they put the CARES Act in place, they did some amendments to the first Family First Act, which contained this provision, which was a supercharged $600 a week extra on top of whatever you were to get from the state. So, you know, you get $240 from Florida, and then, the, and then soon um, anybody who's getting that is also going to get an additional $600. I mentioned um, economic stimulus uh, a few minutes ago. So what Congress was thinking, and, and I have to, I, I kind of think this was pretty smart. I happen, I happen to agree with it was that they needed to find a way to get all of these billions of dollars actually into our communities. And so, you know, uh, at the face of this, when an employee is now getting unemployment from the state plus the extra $600, um, the question that um, I'm having to ask doctors who are a little, a little trepidatious, because, you know, in some, some areas of the country, um, you know, that's the equivalent of a $50,000 a year more job. Um, and their employees aren't earning that. That's not the market value. That's not the, the the doctor doesn't charge those kinds of fees to his patients. He he couldn't support those kinds of salaries in his community, um, or she for that matter. And and so when we look at this, I think it's kind of brilliant because they're putting the money into the community. And I ask the I have to ask the doctors, as you look at this, and you've been closed down for what is now three to four weeks. You probably you're going to be closed for another two to three weeks and you come back into your community and begin to offer services, would you like your patients who are other people's employees to have less money or more money in their pocket? And of course, the answer is easy. It's like, yeah, I would like for them to still have enough money to be able to purchase my services. So that's why I like this program. I am 
you know, I'm not blind to this. I'm an HR person. We support over 2,000 members. We just executed on the on the layoff of of uh, you know close to 30,000 employees. Um, I'm not blind to the the trepidation <laughs> that that it puts up when we when we start talking about an employee gets an equivalency of a $50,000 a year job um, based off of this unemployment they're getting paid every week and the concern is well why would they come back to work um if they're if that's what they're getting paid and dr blake said we're already having a few um folks who are trying to bring back some key people to work a few part-time hours and they're bucking them they're, they're saying well you know no i'm just going to stay and, and collect my unemployment even though they haven't even started to get their 600 dollars a week yet so so that's that's the whole body of what's surrounding this i expect that if the state, the, the communication that we're getting from states as I'm reading it, I also expect um, to, to see them retroactively award the $600 as well. So if it takes them another couple of weeks, I think they're going to go all the way back to April 1st or maybe a little bit before that and also issue that as well to try and help people out. That's the unemployment. That's the view of the unemployment. Yeah. And that six hundred dollars is taxable. I believe so. I think it's, yeah. I think it's all taxable. Yeah. Pretty sure. sure. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. Right. Your unemployment usually is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I was wondering if the six hundred dollars might be a so-called gift from the government, but but that never seems to be right. No. Nothing's ever a gift. Nothing's free. <laughs> it's a, Nothing. It all comes. It all comes with strings for sure. Yeah. Paul, I hear that the healthcare uh, got an exemption from the FMLA and sick leave rules. Can you explain how that works for our members? Does it apply to us? Uh, well, it, it does apply to you. Um, as we read the new writing of the rules, um, which I think were done about four or five days ago, as we read this, we believe that you could be excluded from these two rules. I'd like to explain the two rules very quickly um, because I'm going to make the point that just because you are excluded doesn't mean that you may want to be. So the first part of the rule is the sick leave rule. And basically, and I'm paraphrasing, trying to keep it simple, if an employee who's working for you gets sick with a virus, um, they uh, would be paid 80 hours of sick day. If an employee needs to be, stay home with someone who is sick with virus for a family member, then they could be paid the 80 hours that are mandated by the law, um, again, as, as sick leave. Uh, there are a couple of other applications for it. One of them is, is that, they, that we all go on like some kind of a mandatory lockdown um, and, and, you know, something even stronger than shelter everybody stay in your home um, and and that would also trigger that two weeks of pay the other part of it is is um, and, and all of this is written underneath the Family Medical Leave Act the FMLA which most of your members are not subject to now some of them are because they uh, uh, they've got more than 50 employees so they've always had to follow some of the rules but there are the, like there's some new line items written under the FMLA one of the line items is is that the act now applies to anybody who has 500 or fewer employees. Um, so that was, a, that was a big deal. Now, under this new rule, you, if, if, what they did is they said, look, if, you have a, if you're in an area where a, a, a parent loses 
all support around child care. So how would they lose that support? Well, the schools closed, daycare closed, um, and if you think about it, you can't, you know, you can't really um, find any help. You don't want to bring someone into your house to take care of your kids. So now you have an employee who has kids at home and no way to, to care for them. In that instance, the way the law was written was that you, um, they could ask for um, um, you to let them go home and take care of the kids, and you would have to pay them for up to 10 weeks of uh, FMLA leave for the care of a child. Now, one of the limits put on it, they put a, a day limit, and they and they basically put in a, a language that said you would pay the employee two thirds of what they would normally make when they were taking advantage of that um, that relief that's available to them. Now, important to stick in here right now because everybody's moaning, kind of moaning and groaning, was that. As part of the law, they also inserted an immediate payback for either one of these. So if you became subject to one of these and had to pay someone the sick leave or you had to pay the FMLA leave, you would submit right after you ran your payroll to the IRS. Um, they've been very clear. They've already provided the paperwork and the, and the rulemaking around it. You would submit those hours that were subject to this new law to them and they would refund 100% in a tax credit. So you would get cash back immediately within two weeks of running the payroll. So it was kind of like, look, you're gonna, the government wants you to take care of it to facilitate it through your payroll, but then the government would turn around and put the money back in your hands if you were subject to one of those rules. Um, which I think really made, you know, this, this I mean, of, of a really tough situation, I think this this really was not a bad solution to the to the whole issue. The other thing that I uh, point I want to make, Dr. Blakesley, is that the FMLA would probably not be a continuous thing, a contiguous thing. It'd be unlikely that someone, um, you know, once we go back to work, would be in a situation where all childcare would be shut down for yet another three uh, months and they'd have no way to, you know, be able to get nannies in or babysitters or, you know, for that matter, family or whoever to come in. So it would really be an intermittent use of it. And, and, and one of the obvious ways it could be intermittently needed would be that, um, you know, we have a flare up you're, you're, you know, you're in an area and we let everybody out a little bit at a time and all of a sudden your city flares up and maybe you're in a, 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 a you know major metropolitan area and next thing you know your entire city's got to go back down um <laughs> and i can hear the collective groan out there again as people are listening but you un, you know unfortunately have to go back on lockdown for for three or four weeks um and in those in that instance um that rule that i've been talking about might trigger um, in our instance here at Cedar, I'll share with you, we are having to do it already. We're having to comply with it, um, but we are essentially open and operating. And so, but we still have uh, moms and dads home with the kids. And so they're taking a, an extra day or two um, during the week to kind of take care of the kids until they can get someone to help. And then they're back at work, you know, uh, working their butts off. So, you know, reasonable rules, I think, um, you know, when you and I were talking earlier, I think the points you made about um, cash flow um, is important here. I, I do agree that I think as we come back, if, if we're anemic 
when it when it comes to patients coming in and cash flow and we've played out all of our resources um that this could be even even waiting two weeks to get our money back uh could be um, a lot for us to bear I, you know, and, and especially the more employees who might take advantage of this. And when I say take advantage, I don't mean that in a negative way. They may, may actually need it. Um, I could see how that can get kind of a, to be a burden. Um, but if it's just one or two employees um, and you have the cash flow, I don't see it as that big of a burden to pay it and then get reimbursed for it um, as you go forward. Um, so now let's bring in the exclusions. And I'm saying to you um, all that I don't disagree with some of the stuff that's been put out there um, that healthcare providers um, are excluded from this, these rules. You don't have to follow them. You could, if you did, you would still be reimbursed. Um, but I am using the word may because we have active rule writing going on. And um, as I look at the legislation and the, and the text of the law, this rule, which excludes healthcare workers, doesn't seem to comport with how the law was written. Um, that said, that's normal. Um, as an HR company, you know, we work in all 50 states west, we see laws written. And what we normally do is we sit back for a period of time. It's generally months. Sometimes it's as short as, as, as a few weeks, but it's usually months. There is oftentimes, uh, um, uh, lawsuits come up around it. You know, we've seen a lot of lawsuits come up around mandatory paid sick, sick leave laws that legislators can. Um, nonetheless, we spend a lot of time watching the rulemaking and we see it go up and down and whipsaw back and forth. And then finally, we'll get a rule that we know that they're pretty much going to stick to. But we're in a situation right now where that's not the case. I mean, we're having to try to interpret these rules and then tell our employers what they have to follow like right now. So we're saying may because we think that there's a possibility redefined um, or, or something that's going to make this, this change. But for now, as people are listening to this, I think most of you are still in a state where you have your employees on unemployment. This rule is not affecting you that much, but I, I, I wanted to talk about it today because I think it's important um, for us to also talk about the HR side of it, Wes. Um, Dr. Blakesley, I, I, on my side of it, I'm following this law. I'm taking care of my people. I'm paying, I'm paying them even though I might be able to get an exclusion. There's a hardship exclusion on the other side of it, a, a different kind of exclusion. Um, I'm doing it because I'm, it's the, I can do it I do have the cash flow today, right now, and, I, and it's the right thing for me to do to support my employee. Um, if, if for some reason, uh, those of you who are listening out there can't do it, um, I don't want you to feel bad because what you could do is you could move your employees back onto unemployment if this comes up. Uh, but that doesn't really work if you think about it, if it's just intermittently needed. Um, so there's no perfect solution to this, um, but I just wanted to go through it as it is today and kind of share it with your members. Um, these are the rules and how they were written. You can comply with them. You will be reimbursed, or you can exclude yourself from those rules altogether. Um, I think that's a personal choice that each um, owner and manager is going to have to make out there. Thanks, Paul. It's very comprehensive. Uh, let's move on.
Uh, Paul, let's uh, change lanes here to, uh, sure. to discuss reimbursement for health insurance premiums where the employers, i.e. us, have been paying mm -hmm. the employees' share. Okay, so we had an unprecedented thing happen where literally no, no one got no one had an opportunity to really plan for anything. And so the guidance that we gave our employers was what I, I believe ended up happening in a lot of instances on the layoffs that occurred. The guidance that we gave was just continue paying your portion and their portion of their health insurance. Now, that was good guidance in one way, and this is one of the reasons why we're HR experts. Under the FMLA, um, you can't just lay someone off and hand them a COBRA notice. Um, you have to, if someone is, is, is taking time off re relative to that act, you must make arrangements with them to continue their health insurance. Now, they could be told they have to pay it. That, that can absolutely be true. But typically, when you're using FMLA, uh, you know, one of the most common reasons is, is to go out for pregnancy. Um, that employee plans for it. They set money aside. They talk to their employer. And they work something out so that their health insurance is paid while they're on leave. But we didn't get that chance. So the guidance we gave was continue all the health insurance. And let's hope Congress and the health insurance agencies step up and, and make this right, meaning that we didn't have to terminate people and give them COVID notices and literally during a pandemic take people's health insurance away from them and so that was our guidance keep continue it now now that we've continued it and we're, we're three or four weeks in and loans are taking longer than anyone expected they were closed much longer than I think anyone expected um, depending on your cash flow number of employees and all numbers you know all different factors you, it's this becomes expensive to pay you know not just your portion but their portion as well um, especially when you have no income coming in and so with that there's a there's a need to return to normalcy around these fees for health insurance so what we have heard from most um, of the health insurance agencies is it's okay as long as you keep paying everybody's uh, uh, premiums imagine that um, we'll we'll leave this in place. We won't go technically and make you issue COBRA notices and kick them off the rolls, but we're still paying. So now what we're doing is we're issuing um, um, notices to all of our members' employees. Um, if the member you know chooses to go this route, where we're letting the employee know you know a we're just going to keep doing it. Don't worry about it if that's your choice. B um, we're going to continue to uh, contribute our share. And but we need you to know that your share that we've been paying, we're going to need to have that paid back to us in one form or another. Um, and and again, there's some laws around. You can get this money back. We'll just call it a clawback. You can get it, but you have to be careful about how you do that, how much you take. You can't take it in a lump sum and drive someone's wages below minimum wage when they come back to work. Um, there's there's some rules about that. Um, and then the the final thing is is to notice them that once the supercharged six hundred dollars begins to arrive, they will be expected to write a check to the practice to pay their share. Um, for those that had full-on group plans that were paying 100% as part of the benefit and pay to an employee, um, you know, there's no real notice out to the employees unless you believe that you cannot sustain that. 
if uh, anybody's listening and you get to that point, you need to be very careful when you talk to your insurance agents and you need to talk to an HR expert to make sure that you don't violate uh, any uh, existing rules that are in place for protecting employees and their health insurance and around the ACA as well. So the, that's, that's what's going on in health insurance right now. So we're trying to correct it as quickly as possible, return it to normalcy so that we're all back inside of the regulations and rules that are there for small employers. Talk about helter skelter, right? Yeah, well, we've got it. That's that's the thing. Yeah. We got we, we we you know we make our recommendations, and everybody takes you know all these choices into place. And then what, our our role is to cross the finish line with you. So if you're working with us, that's our job. But everybody out there, no surprise, has to make some choices here. Um, and you know, Dr. Blake said there's a lot of guesswork here. I mean, you're still guessing today when you're going to open, if you plan on opening. Um, it's just it's just a guess, and none of us love that, especially when we're sitting here idle, not not earning. No. So. It's totally a guess. We have no idea. Yep. But we will be back to work someday. Uh, yeah. Last topic. is that We've been blowing through this, Paul. This has been a great discussion, yeah. very, very okay. illuminating. Uh, the last topic is remote work. Well, yeah, so, you know, we we we've always – in this industry, particularly in dentistry, there's been very few instances where we have a member contact us and say, I have a worker who's going to be working remote. Well, I say very few. It, it happens hundreds of times. It's not a thousands of times occurrence. So I want people to think about remote work right now in terms of today and for the rest of the year. And I think they have to think of all of these things. You've got to go back to what I said at the beginning. You need to understand that no one's going to wave a magic wand three weeks from now and say the floodwaters have receded. It's okay. We can clean up and we can rebuild. People are going to say the floodwaters look like they've receded, but I don't know. They might be coming back. And so, you know, metaphorically, this thing's going to, I think it's going to, it's going to ebb and flow uh, throughout however long it takes, months through the rest of the year, maybe even into next year before we have, um, you know, some drugs in place or something that can help us kind of ward this thing off. So with that remote work, right now you have a few employees working remote. When we first furloughed or laid off people, the thing we told all of our members was do the best you can. Here's a long list of things that you would need to take care of if you had a healthcare worker working from home. And, you know, there's, there's a bunch of IT in there. There's some rules about not, you know, working on your family computer that you share with your husband or your kids or your wife or, you know, you know just those general rules that protect PHI and, and, and those sorts of things. Now we realize, well, this could become the norm and we could have hot spots flash up and, and we could have the need um, to, you know, we might be able to keep our, 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 our practice open, but we might realize that we could get just our, you know, one doctor and an assistant and get two or three other employees actually working from home to keep them separated so that we're, you know, it's even safer uh, if you're in a hot spot someplace to operate. So with that remote work, it's going to be very important that everybody now turn around and make sure that their remote work policies are in place, protecting yourselves around work, workers' compensation. It's, 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 a, it's a thing. You got, you got to address it. Protecting PHI so that you don't get in trouble with HHS or you know, HIPAA or any, any of that stuff. Um, and, and also just setting a standard for your employees being present. Um, you know, if you are home with your kids, 
you can't, you know, you got to be, you got to be fully focused on work. You got to figure that out. So there's a lot of things that you need to address. It's about a page long, but it, it, you know, when you read it, it all makes sense. So just, I think everybody would do good to prepare, even if they don't have to use the remote policies um, going forward. I think it'd be a good idea to prepare for it and have those things in place. Paul, this has been such an excellent discussion, and we, uh, you know, we we kind of brushed over a lot of topics. And your your depth in the discussion is very much appreciated. And I know the members are going to really uh, get a lot of value out of this. But yeah. I'm thinking as we're recording that we've really teed ourselves up for probably another one or two podcasts very easily. Sure. So I'd like to yeah. I'd like to invite you to come back on the podcast, and we'll take again these these niche topics and try to expand them for the members uh, because we are living through this now. A lot of these things are, these issues are going to mature and we're going to have to revisit them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's going to change by the time you and I talk again, if it's a month or longer from now, um, I'll have to update some of what I said today and there will be challenges. We'll have a lot better look at what um, our, our owner employers are going through. Well, the best way to meet challenges is to uh, is to coalesce and do it as a group, and we have yeah. a big group here, probably about thirty-five or forty thousand members. Uh, but anyway, Paul, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I was taking copious notes while you were speaking. I'll go back, obviously, and read this uh, or listen to this podcast uh, personally, and uh, and learn from it like everyone else. Uh, for the members who are listening in, who'd like to engage you, contact you possibly do some work with you. What's the best way to do that? Well, there's a couple of ways. First of all, our website is CEDAR, and that's C-E-D-R Solutions with an S on the end. So that's cedarsolutions.com. When you get there right now, there's a COVID virus uh, uh, banner at the top of the page. I highly recommend that everybody go click on that banner and start reading through a lot of really well-organized material, which is much farther in depth and explains uh, a lot of the subjects that I talked about today and goes into the topics and even take you down to the law. If you want to, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, you could follow our guidance as we break it down. The other way um, to engage with us is to go to our Facebook group. We have a private Facebook group for just doctors and their managers, and it's called HR Basecamp. So if you search for that on Facebook, you just put in a few details. We do quick research to make sure you are who you are, and we let you in. And we have a community there of close to 8,000 uh, dentists and, 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 uh, and doctors in there. And, uh, and we're answering questions and providing all kinds of support. And then what's beautiful is the community is helping one another. So when the Texas when the Texas doctors are like, oh, my God, what do I do here? There are other Texas doctors that come in and go, I just went through it. Here's the phone number. He, you know, here, here's the, the resource for you. So it's, it's become quite a positive community in there as well. It's a good group. And again, uh, for the folks listening in, CEDAR is C-E-D-R, correct? No A. That's, yep, that's correct. No A. C, okay. Paul, again, thanks a lot for spending time with us. Enjoyed it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon for uh, podcast number two. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Stay safe.